podcast of the Vine Church in Fullerton, California. For more information, visit thevineoc.com. Amen. Well, hey, good morning again. Hope you're doing well. Today is what we call Vision Sunday, and this is something we do each fall to orient us around the vision that God has given us as a church. There's a famous leadership guru named Max Dupree, and he's famous for saying that the first job of every leader is to make meaning. And what he means by that is that if you're leading a group of people, it is of the utmost importance every so often to remind people, why are we doing what we're doing? Like, why are we here? And, and so that's what we're going to talk about today. Like, what are we about as a church? And where are we going in this season ahead? So that's what we're talking about today. Now, some of you, you're, you're with us here for the first time. And so uh, you're, you're hearing this all for the first time. So we just want to say welcome. We are so glad uh, you're here with us. Some of you perhaps have been visiting for a while, and so this, in addition to sharing about our vision, we also want to invite you to, to no longer just visit, to actually really step in to the life of our community. And we'll share about some of those opportunities throughout this series, and as well as at the First Step Lunch. Of course, there are many of you here today, you've, you've been around for a while, and so you're already part of this family, you, you know what we're about, and uh, you're part of the story that God's been writing here through our lives, and so this is a time just to be re-envisioned with God, what God's doing here uh, through this community. And so, in a moment, we'll take a look at the scripture we just read, but I, I want to start today just by sharing just a, a little bit of our story as a church. In a couple weeks, we'll celebrate our goodness, is it, I think, seventh anniversary, which is just amazing. And so some of you have never really kind of heard the story. And so I want to share just a little piece of that uh, for you. Uh, so uh, several years ago, I was on staff at a church in Costa Mesa, a church called Holy Trinity, a wonderful church. And one day, our pastor, who is also our, our bishop, uh, bishop's like a pastor to pastors, he asked my wife, Ansley, and I to pray about planting a church out of Holy Trinity. And so we began to pray, and then the next day, or maybe it was two days later, an older pastor friend of mine called me and he said, hey, I'm going to be retiring soon. I want to ask you to pray about becoming the senior pastor of this church. Now, this was a church where there was, well, there was people. <laughs> there was money. They had a place to meet. I mean, they kind of had everything you kind of you need for a church. And so uh, on the other hand, the, the, the church planning option, well, that was the opposite of that because there was, there was nothing. It would be just starting from scratch. And so you can imagine which option looked more attractive to Ansley and I, especially with a newborn baby. And so it seemed like a new brainer, no brainer rather, but, but as, as we prayed about it, we just felt God was making it so clear that actually he was calling us to plant this church. And as you can imagine, that was just a giant uh, step of faith because again, it was just like literally starting from scratch. Holy Trinity at the time was just a young, small church plant. So it wasn't like, hey, here's a bunch of people and here's a bunch of money. They like, they had no money to give us. All we had was a call. And so we gathered a few of our friends and we said, hey, here's what we feel like God's doing in our lives and do you want to join us? And so we started a little small group and emphasis on small group. Uh, whoa, geez. In, in Fullerton, sorry, I'll try to watch the laughs there. Um, and, and uh, you know, that grew little by little over time. And, and, and a, a crazy thing happened when we had only like, I don't know, 15 tops, 20 people who were like, hey, I am committed to this church plant. We really felt like we heard the Lord say, now is the time. 
now is the time to go public and, 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 and launch public worship services. And I'm thinking, this is so crazy, but we learned to listen to him. We've learned to follow him. And so we did it. And so you just have to know that like, we shouldn't be here. <laughs> we broke like every best practice in the book. If you read the church planning literature, like, hey, and it's usually written by mega church people. Like, hey, when you find your first 50 people or your first 70 people or your first 80 people, then maybe, you know, go public. And so this was just so crazy but we really believed we heard the voice of God, and so we went for it. And, and, and what I just want to say today uh, is that we're here. <laughs> like, like we're here. Yeah, praise God. <laughs> and, and again, by every statistic, we should not be here. And so I just want to share that because I want to give God praise and, and honor and glory. And I want you to know that all through the story of this church is his grace, is his mercy, is his provision. And so I just want to recognize that. And I just want to give him honor uh, because he is worthy, as we sang earlier. He is so worthy. Amen. Amen. And again, in a couple of weeks, we'll celebrate our seventh anniversary. And for me, it feels like we're just getting started, but we've, we've, we've already seen God do so much. I mean, we've seen people come to faith. We've seen lives change. We've seen people get off drugs. We've seen people get off the streets. I've even had people tell me things like, I was going to take my life, but I came here and I decided not to. And, and for me, it's like when, 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 you, when you hear those stories, it's like it makes everything worth it, everything worth it. And so for me, just the big headline today is just thankfulness. It's just thankful. So I'm so thankful to God first and foremost, but I'm just also so thankful to everyone who's been a part of this journey. So just, just thank you for journeying with us. And, and really, kind of our heart today is just to invite you, those of you who may be visiting and checking things out, to really join us on this journey. Now, you might wonder, well, what, what, what animates us? I mean, why go on this crazy journey of planting a church in North Orange County? What's, what's the rationale? What's the vision? And, and, it, and it's this. Our vision, our dream, our prayer is to see our cities transformed with the love of Jesus Christ. That's, that's really our dream. That is really our prayer. And, and, and there's so much we could talk about in terms of this vision, but here's really just the main thing I want to underscore for us. And it's that our vision is not just for a church. You need to hear this. It's not just for a church. It's actually for a city. And there's a really big difference there. I, I feel too often in the American church, we can have a vision for a church or even more myopically for a church service but no vision for a city. Uh, but, but I think that is far too small of a vision, far too small of a vision. I, uh, this is maybe a bit delicate, but I'll just share it. So I've been on staff at various churches and a leader on, in various ministries. So you don't know what I'm referring to or who I'm referring to, but I, I've spent way too many hours in, in staff meetings and leadership meetings where literally the only thing that gets talked about is a worship service. And for me, that just breaks my heart because, again, God has a vision. And here's what's really behind this. Jesus taught us to pray what? He said, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done where? Here on earth as it is in heaven. Matthew 6. And so what Jesus is about, he's about bringing up there, down here. 
He's not just about a cool worship service or a cool building. He wants to see his kingdom come in our lives, in our relationships, in our marriages, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our cities. That is what he is about. He wants to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And therefore, what that means is that any place that's out of alignment with his kingdom vision, he wants to transform that. And so that's really kind of the rationale behind our vision. We want to see our lives and our cities transformed with the love of Jesus Christ. And so that's really just so so important for us. Now, uh, in, I don't know, sometime in the past year and a half or so, we, we kind of had to broaden our vision a bit because we realized uh, that not only do we have people here from Fullerton, but we've got people here from Brea, from La Mirada and Placentia and Anaheim and now even like, you know, Tustin and Inland Empire and Chino Hills. And so we realize that God's actually giving us a vision, not just for a city, but actually for a region. And so what would it look like to see God's kingdom come and transform a region? I just love to think about that. I mean, what would it look like to see God's presence and power move in a region? What what would that look like? That's what we're really praying into. And so we just, we invite you to join us. On, on this journey. And, and so that's really the why behind the what of, of all that we do, uh, the why behind the what of all that we do here at this church. And so just for example, to unpack that. So, so this is why we gather on Sundays, because when God's kingdom comes, it looks like people worshiping the one true God. This is why uh, we teach the scriptures, because we're transformed, we are told, by the renewing of our minds. This is why we collect an offering, because the kingdom of God looks like generous hearts, and you can't become a generous person just kind of in the abstract. I mean, this is why we, we give to the poor, because that's what God's kingdom looks like. This is why we do laundry shower ministry. This is why we do alpha, because people need to be reconciled to God. This is why we do small groups, because really this is not a church growth strategy. This is a transformation strategy. This is key to what God wants to do. And, 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 and we've given money to missionaries and church plants, but really all of this is to see our lives, to see our cities transformed with the love of Jesus Christ. We have a, a vision for a city, for a region, not just for a church. We just want to see his kingdom come. And so uh, that, that's just really the why behind the what of all, all that we do. And so I just wanted to kind of just share that with you to give you a vision and a sense of what we're really about and just to invite you on this journey. Now you might think, well, well, that's a wonderful vision, but like, how does that happen, right? Like, how do we take a next step into that? And so that's what I want to talk about today. And today we're kicking off a four-part vision series. And each week we'll look at something that is key to what God has called us to and which is actually part of what he uses to bring transformation in our lives, in our cities, okay? And so uh, this uh, today what we're looking at is really, really kind of our first call, And what that is, is that we are called to intimacy with Jesus Christ. We are called, our number one call in life is actually to a relationship of intimacy with Jesus Christ. And I'll unpack this from scripture in a minute, but just I'll share that this summer when I spent time in in prayer and fasting, uh, just listening to God, just just in terms of what he's up to in our midst, I just really felt like the clearest thing I heard him say was call the people to intimacy with me call the people to intimacy with me. This is just so deep on his heart. And and, and so I want to just unpack this from from the scriptures. Um, And I actually want to start from Mark uh, chapter 3. 
verses 13 through 15, and it says this, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed 12. Now, now for what purpose? So they might do something for him. Notice this first thing he called them to. So it says he appointed 12 that they might be with him. You see, that's relational language. That, that's language of intimacy. That was their first call, that they might be with him. And then, and only then, flowing out of that, it says, that he might also send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. And so here's what we need to gather from this. Our, our number one purpose in life, our, our number one call is not uh, to serve God or to do something for him, that's important, but our number one call is actually to be close to God, to live a life of intimacy with God. So important. Dallas Willard puts it like this. You know I had to quote him eventually. <laughs> He says, quote, God has created us for intimate friendship with himself, both now and forever. So so God didn't create us in the first place to do something for him. He created us in the first place actually to be with him, to be in this intimate relationship with himself. Now, now just let that sink in for a moment. I mean, that's, that's amazing. The creator of the universe, the eternal logos became flesh, Jesus Christ. He wants you to be in an intimate relationship with himself. And this is our number one call. Now, I, I think the temptation, when we start thinking about, you know, change and the, the change and transformation we want to see, whether in our lives personally or in our cities, or we start thinking about the mission of the kingdom of God, the temptation, well, at least for me, is it just to kind of just run after that and get busy for Jesus and to forget the relationship. And I've, I've kind of been down that road and I've kind of seen how that movie ends and it's not good. It is not good. You just end up withering and getting burned out or disillusioned or just snarky or whatever, you know, along the way. But Jesus has a better way for us. And so I want to look at that together. And I just want to unpack that by looking uh, now at John chapter 15. This is where we'll camp out. Now, if you've been with us for a while, you've, you've heard me preach on this before. This is a passage that is really near and dear to our hearts as, as a church. And as you've probably noticed, this is kind of where we get our name as a church. It's from this passage. And, and you've probably heard me say much of what I'm going to say, but as my friend Dennis reminds me that in educational research, they say that for something to really sink in, you need to hear it like 17 times. And so this is like one more step in that. So I'm just trying to help you out here, okay? I'm just trying to help. Um, but this is just this is such a rich uh, and beautiful passage. This is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. Uh, and, and here's the context. So this is Jesus and, and, and the apostles. Uh, in other words, his closest followers have just left the upper room. It's Jesus' last night on earth and, and before the cross. It's his last time with his closest followers. And so you can imagine if you knew you were going to die and you had limited time with those closest to you, what, what kinds of things would, would be on your heart to share with them? I mean, the most important things, right? And so I think that really just tells us that what we're reading here is just so central to Jesus' heart for us, for his people, okay? Now, we don't know for sure, but, you know, it's, 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 it's likely that maybe they passed through a vineyard as they were walking along. And Jesus, he often likes to take an image just from the surrounding environment, use that as a teaching moment. And, and so he, he uses this image of a grapevine, 
to communicate a deep spiritual truth. Now, I, I grew up in a rural area, and one of my best friends growing up, he actually, his house was surrounded by a vineyard. So this really, this image kind of resonates for me personally, but just in case you're not as familiar with this image, I just wanted to put this photo up here just to kind of for you to look at, just this image of the vine and the branches and the fruit. So maybe just look at that as we're talking through this passage here. So one of, one of the words that comes up over and over again in this passage is the word fruit. And what this is, this is language of transformation. So for example, in Galatians chapter 5, there's a list of, of what's called the fruit of the Spirit. And we read about things like love and, and peace and, and joy, the kinds of things we all long to see in our lives, in our cities. And, and, and so what Jesus is saying in this passage is he's saying, I'm the key to that. If you want that, he's saying, I'm the key to that. So that's just kind of big picture. Let's walk through this. Starting in John 15, verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine. Now, what he's implying there is that there are actually some other vines out there, right? He's implying, you know, there's actually some false vines out there. But he's saying, I am the true vine. I'm the real deal. I'm the true vine. You can try to find your life or root your life in other things or other vines, if you will. But he's saying, I am the true vine. Those other vines will only let you down, but he's saying, I'm the true vine. And and the reality is, whether you consider yourself spiritual or not, or religious or not, we're all trying to plug in somewhere to find life. We're all trying to find a path to fruit in our lives. And even if you might not think of it like that, there's a famous quote, I think it's by G.K. Chesterton, and he said, uh, the man who knocks on the door of the brothel is looking for God. See, we're all actually trying to get, find some way to find life and, and fruit. And Jesus is saying, actually, if you want that, he's saying, look, I am it. I am the true vine. And I found that to be so true in my life, not just theologically, but experientially. When I tried to find my life in work or success or money or pleasure or substances, they all just left me high and dry. But in Jesus, I have found life. I have found fruit. I have found meaning and hope and satisfaction. So Jesus is saying, look, I am it. I am the true vine. He's saying, look, I am your lifeblood. I am your source. I am your salvation. I am your hope. I am everything. I am the true vine. I'm it. And therefore, he says, let's skip down to verse four. Remain in me. Remain in me. Now, older translations use the word abide. I kind of like that language. So abide in me or uh, remain in me is I also remain in you. He says, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So Jesus uses this word remain or abide. And so what does that mean? Well, abide is a translation of the Greek word meno, and it has sort of a range of meaning. It means to live with, or to dwell with, or to stay with, or can mean make your home with, or in. Um, and it's actually one of John's favorite words for describing our relationship with Jesus and of living as a disciple in the kingdom of God. That's sort of the general idea here, to you know, just live your life with me, be at, be at home with me, enjoy me, think of me, as a friend. But this is language of intimate relationship. So Jesus says, he says, abide in me. And and note that this is an imperative, or this is sort of a command. And, And what he's saying is that this is something for us to do. This is something he's calling us to. 
Now, there are, there are different facets of this, but I just want to, in terms of what this actually means for us, here's what I want to emphasize today. Uh, to abide in Jesus means to stay with Jesus. It, it, it's to stay close to him. You see, I don't know, if you can put maybe the, 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 the image back up of the uh, grapevine. If, if, if a branch is to abide in a grapevine, it's going to stay real close. It's going to stick with it, right? And, and, and so that's really central to this idea of, of abiding in Jesus. And what this speaks of is, is both connection. There's a connectedness between the branch and the vine, but it also speaks of consistency. Not only a connection, but a connection that you stay with over time, Okay. So uh, if you put your trust in Jesus, what that means is that you are actually connected to him. And actually, that language doesn't even do it justice because it says that we are in him and he is in us. It's like the most intimate relationship in the universe. Uh, but, but the second thing we need to see here is that to abide is not just to have this connection, but it is to remain in this connection, to stick with it, to continue in it. So what Jesus is saying, just to break this down, is don't, don't just visit me from time to time. Maybe when you're in a crisis or maybe on a a Sunday. But just, no, he's saying, no, stay with me. Abide in me. Stay in my presence. Stay connected to me because this is where you find life. And this is the only way we'll ever be able to impact our cities if we stay close to him. Because he's saying life is found in him, in his presence. With intimacy with God. And so that's really what it means to abide in Jesus. Now, I just want to just kind of bring this together. I want to ask you a question. And, and so if Jesus is the true vine, and if we're branches, what, what is our job? What, what should really kind of our focus be in our life? And I think the temptation is to say, well, to, to bear fruit, right? But what's so fascinating is look at this passage. Look at this passage. Bearing fruit is actually not something that we can do. Right? It's not something you can do by direct effort. Rather, what we see here is actually that fruit is a byproduct of abiding in Jesus. And therefore, what that means is that our central call, our central focus is actually remaining in him, abiding in him, a life of intimacy with him. You can't just be like, you know, like think of like, uh, you know, like an apple tree, like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to bear red delicious, you know, or whatever, you know, that just, it just doesn't work. You just can't do that. That branch will only produce an apple if it's connected to that tree, to that source of life, right? Same thing in our lives. Our number one goal, our number one job, our number one purpose in life is actually to stay connected to Jesus, to live life in a relationship of intimacy, okay? Fruit is a byproduct of abiding in the vine, okay? I want to read you a quote from a woman named Joanna Weaver, uh, and I may have read this before, but it's so good, I have to read this. Um, She says this, She says, I had spent so much of my life concentrating on the fruit of my own personal holiness. And we could insert any number of things here, the fruit of ministry, the fruit of serving, the fruit of evangelism, the fruit of justice, the fruit of works of compassion, the fruit of caring for the poor, insert whatever you want there. But she said, I had spent so much of my life concentrating on the fruit of my own personal holiness that I missed out on the connection, the sweet intimacy of being attached to the vine. And as a result, what I tried to do was as ludicrous as an apple tree branch trying to produce apples by its own effort. Be good. Be good. Do good. Do good. The broken branch chants as it lies on the orchard grass. 
that apple should be popping out any time, says the helpless, lifeless stick. Here's the point. If we want to experience transformation in our lives, in our cities, that won't happen if all we do is get busy for Jesus. All will happen is we'll get tired, we'll burn out, and we'll get really grumpy, right? We'll wither. But if we want fruit and fruit that lasts, what we need is to abide in Jesus, to stay close to him, to stay connected to him, and to make that our top priority in life. Our job as a branch in the vine is not to produce fruit. Our job actually is to learn to continually receive life and love from Jesus. And if we do that, the byproduct, the natural byproduct is, is fruit, okay? That is the natural byproduct. So think of it like this. Um, think of if you tried to, you know, think of someone like vacuuming a room. They're trying to clean up the room, vacuum, vacuum. But you notice uh, the vacuum is not plugged in. That's kind of ridiculous, right? But that's what it's like when we try to approach change and transformation, whether in our lives or in the world around us, when we're not abiding in Jesus. We're not emphasizing and prioritizing our relationship with Jesus. It's like someone trying to vacuum and clean up a big mess, and the vacuum's not even plugged in. It just doesn't make any sense, right? And so the call for us, I'm hoping you're hearing that the call, the number one call, is to stay plugged in, to stay connected, to live a life of intimacy with Jesus Christ. And, and here's the promise that comes with that. That if we do that, if we abide, Jesus promises this, John 15, verse 5. Let's skip to verse 5. He says, if you remain in me and I in you, you will what? Bear much fruit. Bear much fruit. That is a promise. And actually, not only will you bear fruit, you won't not be able to bear fruit. It is the inevitable byproduct of a life of abiding in Jesus Christ. That will just come. Uh, that is the inevitable byproduct overflow. And so I'm going to share just a few stories that illustrate this, how this works briefly. So this is just a simple story. As Dennis and Carrie shared during announcements, uh, we've been part of kind of a beta task group just to kind of, uh, just kind of prepare for these new groups we're launching. And it's been such a great time. And, and as they mentioned that each week we, we've picked a practice that as a group, we agree, we're going to do this together. And so one week we decided, here's what we're going to do. We're going to all agree to spend 20 minutes in silent prayer with, with God every day. And, and I'll be honest, look, I'm a pastor, but you know, some days that's challenging, I'm tired or whatever, but I decided, you know, look, I, I committed, I'm, I'm doing this. And so one, one day, you know, it was, it was kind of in the evening and uh, it'd been a busy week, but I just kind of, you know, I sat in my little comfy chair and, you know, put the timer on and, and, and you know, it was a busy week, so I wasn't feeling like super spiritual, but again, I, I committed to spending that time with God. And, and, and the first thing that happened was just by making that space, to be with Jesus, I became aware. First of all, I became aware how tired I was. Second, I became aware that I was actually anxious. I was so busy during the day, I wasn't even aware of that, but when I slowed down and just created space, I became aware that I was anxious. And so that became a point of conversation with God. Oh, Lord, wow, I didn't even realize this. So I just kind of gave that to him, and I just invited him into that. And then I just as I sat there in silence, it's just like all of a sudden I just felt myself being filled with his presence with his life, with his joy, with his love. I'm like, it's true. I mean, I knew that, but it's like, it's true. If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And I was just experiencing that in that moment, the truth of this verse. I was experiencing my anxiety being replaced with peace, my weariness with joy and love. I'm like, this is amazing. The secret is abiding in the vine. 
simple story, but I just, I want you to know that like, like this is real. Like this is not just a, a good sermon. Like this is, this is real. This is real life. Sorry if I patted myself on the back. <laughs> Wishful thinking perhaps, but. One, one, uh, two more stories. One, uh, so uh, Mother Teresa in uh, 1994, she was asked to, I mean, she like won the Nobel Peace Prize. This is when she was like, the whole world was like Mother Teresa. And so she was asked to uh, speak at the National Prayer Breakfast sponsored by the U.S. Senate and House of Representatives. And um, in her address, she said something that was just so powerful. And she said, quote, we, we may be doing social work in the eyes of some people, but we're really just contemplatives in the heart of the world. What did she mean? What she's claiming is that everything she was being lauded for across the world, caring for the poor, rehabilitating addicts, creating this community of love in the heart of a slum, all of that was more or less just an accident. She's saying, I'm just remaining in Jesus. The fruit, the fruit was just a byproduct. It's just what came from remaining in Jesus. It's simply the overflow of intimacy. And that's basically how, how Jesus promised it would work, right? Um, and so, so even at that level, kind of the societal level, that, that fruit, again, it flows from intimacy. This is counterintuitive to the way so many of us think. I'm a doer, I'm a worker, I'm a getter-donner. But I found that that's actually a dead-end street. If I try to do that without Jesus Christ, if I try to do that in my own strength, if I try to do that in the power of the flesh without intimacy, without abiding in him, that is just a surefire recipe for a spiritual bankruptcy, and exhaustion and burnout. The secret to fruit, the secret to transformation is actually abiding in Jesus. One more story. Um, So we have, um, by God's grace, just a really special and thriving homeless ministry in the city. But even that was actually an overflow of intimacy. Part of that early one when we planted this church, we just just asked God, what do you want to do here? What, What are you calling us to in the city? And we felt like we heard him say homeless ministry. And over time, there's so many pieces to this story. But I want to invite up our, our, the leader of our homeless ministry, Marsha Grimm, uh, because really, and if you know Marsha, like, she's just an amazing human being, and she's had an impact on many, many lives. But what you might not know is that where that comes from is intimacy. And I, I wanted to share that with us. Please join me in welcoming up Marsha. Yeah, it's, it's a little too tall. So. <laughs> Okay, so uh, Pastor Michael asked me to do this at about 5 o'clock yesterday, and he wants me to explain my journey of intimacy and finding God's calling on my life in three minutes or less. So you can, you can laugh, because that's actually funny. So buckle up, warp speed. Um, I, uh, I became a believer as a teenager, and it was this time of wondrous discovery of Jesus and God's love, and I just fell in love with, with Jesus. I immersed myself in God. There was nothing but abiding, um, at, you know, just the, the word and prayer. And I felt this depth of love and acceptance that I'd always been looking for as a child. And it was just such a time of sweet intimacy as I learned to abide. Um, and that began to erode um, a couple, a few years later when life became more complicated. By the time I was 30, I was married. I was starting my career as an attorney. I um, was serving in my church, and children came on the scene pretty quickly. And I began to feel inadequate in all areas of my life. I wasn't a good wife, mother, employee, or servant of God. And I felt very far from God. And there was no 
margin in my life to have that intimacy with him. And as that intimacy waned, I pursued God in all the ways that were counterproductive. I went into hyper-servant mode. I took on multiple commitments and leadership roles in my church, in my kids' school, their activities, um, all in an effort to regain what I had lost, which was that intimacy with God. And um, I was seeking closeness and love from God and others in in all the wrong ways. And um, long story, but in a nutshell, my life came to a crashing halt. And um, things were falling apart. Um, I was pretty miserable. (laughs) My life was so cluttered that I had to stop everything. And I gave up my striving for God so I could regain my intimacy with him. And um, sorry, I'm shaking. What Jesus said to the church of Ephesus in Revelation 2-4 had become true in my life. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen and do the things you did at first. What did I do at first? I just loved and learned from him. So I started one by one to withdraw from my commitments. Um, I stopped being the quintessential Martha, and I learned to be like Mary and sit at his feet and learn and listen. And I I said, I'm going to do this as long as it takes God to mend my empty and broken heart. And it took two years because I'm a really hard student, okay? Um, And um, God showed me in that two years in very simple and also in astounding ways how much he loved me. Um, And I learned that I am fully known fully accepted and unconditionally loved as I abided in him. And that was when God began to open my heart and show me the true calling he had for my life, which is to know and love the poor. Um, He began to open my eyes to the homeless that were living around me, and he took me on a journey um, to the ministry that I now lead right here in this city. And and the premise of that ministry is to bring God's love and presence to people who need to know that they are known and accepted and fully loved by the God of the universe. And I no longer question if I'm good enough or I'm doing enough. None of that matters. None of that matters. I just have this deep assurance in my soul that God delights in me and not for what I do but because I am a daughter of the king, and I want everyone out there on the street to know that too. Um, I would never have found what God designed for me to do if I hadn't gone back to that first love and learned to abide in him. And what God has done is, through no work of mine, because I'm really a pretty poor leader, okay? I, I'm, I'm floundering a lot, right? No, I am. Um, he thinks that, you know, he says these things about me. It's like, it's, it's just not true if you really knew. Um, but God has grown, and he keeps growing, and I'm not ready for him to keep growing, but he grows this ministry. And he's growing it because it's his fruit. Like he said, it's a byproduct of remaining in him and teaching others that they are known and loved. So thanks for listening. Thank you so much, Marsha. So good. So here's, here's what I hope you're seeing. As Marsha just really illustrated for us, that really that fruit is a byproduct of abiding in Jesus Christ, of living a life of intimacy 
with him. Just as we close, we're running out of time, but I just want to leave you with maybe a couple practical tracks to run, because I know it might sound like, okay, that sounds great, but again, how, how do we do that? And so just two things very quickly. Um, what, what can we do to take a step with this? First thing, first suggestion, declutter. Declutter. I, I, I just maybe here's the question. Where do you need to declutter to make space in your life for more of Jesus? What might that look like for you? I, you know, if you look at kind of the classic, uh, you know, uh, kind of list of, of kind of things that are maybe uh, threatened to derail our faith as Christians, you'll read about, you know, like money and sex and power. But I think there's a new one we need to add to that list, perhaps at the top, and it is technology. And, and by saying that, <laughs> yeah, yeah, somebody's feeling the conviction already. Yeah. <laughs> And by saying that, I don't mean technology is, is inherently bad. I mean, I, I, I don't want a bloodletting. I don't know about you. I don't want a bloodletting. I like modern medicine. I like my iPhone. These things are good. But that which has great power for good can also have great power for bad. And, and one of the things you have to know is that um, really the, what these are, they can so often serve as like these little distraction machines that can really rob our attention from God. And so myself personally, I've had, and my wife shared a testimony like this uh, last month, but I've had to really kind of like lock down my phone because I find myself just perennially distracted from God, distracted from people. And so I've taken some steps because I really, like I don't have YouTube on my phone anymore. I don't have my news app anymore because I'm just always, just almost like compulsively checking it. And so I've done that, not because it's a legalistic thing, but simply because I want more of Jesus in my life. And that's something I felt would be helpful for me. And so my point in sharing this is simply to encourage you to ask yourself, is there anything in your life that you might need to declutter in order to make space for more of Jesus in your life? So it's just, just an encouragement to, to consider. And the final thing is, we're just running out of time, but, but do you have a plan? Do you have a plan for connecting with Jesus in your life? Do you have a time, do you have a place where you, where you go and you meet with him? And if you don't, I, I really want to suggest that you need to come up with something like that. For myself, I actually often, I need to kind of like calendar that. I've got so much going on. Just like with date nights with my wife, if we don't like really agree, okay, here's the time, we're going to connect, we're going to go out and we're going to get dinner and we're going to get babysitter. If we don't do that, it just won't happen. It could go, months could go by and we're like, oh yeah, we haven't actually had a date. Well, it's kind of like that with, with, at least with me and God. You know, if I don't get really intentional, time just can slip by. And so the encouragement is simply, do you have a time? Do you have a place? Do you have a plan for connecting and abiding with Jesus? And of course, we want to stay connected throughout the day, but that's just an encouragement. Do you have that in your life? And so just invite the band to come back up just as we close. But what we've seen is is really the vision that God's given us is, is to see our lives, see our cities transformed with the love of Jesus Christ. But we've seen that that's not something that's going to happen just by us going out there and getting busy for Jesus. That is really a byproduct, ultimately, of our relationship with Jesus Christ, of abiding in the vine. And if we do that, the promise is fruit, is the things we've been talking about today. So let's just, let's just pray together. And um, just maybe just take a moment just to become aware of just God's presence and just maybe what he's been saying to you today. Perhaps some of us are exhausted because maybe we've put the fruit in the center and, and the relationship's been kind of pushed to the margins. And so in a moment, we're going to come to the table and that's one way of just coming to Jesus afresh. But just even now, you might just want to express your heart to God to connect with him, to commune with him, to 
come back to him. And before the table, this is also a time when since the early days of the church, Christians have taken a moment just to examine their hearts and and just confess their sins to him, just to prepare their hearts for this holy meal. And so if anything comes to mind specifically, you can just confess that to God and just ask for his forgiveness and mercy. There's some prayers in our bulletin if you would like a guide. Just take a moment just to talk to God and do business with him.